Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here at Res City. We're very thankful to have you joining us on this beautiful MEA weekend, whether you're doing it here in person or you're joining us online this morning. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get started with our sermon today. And the, in the sermon series that we've been going through uh, throughout um, the, Lord, uh, sorry, the Sermon on the Mount, it's this uh, message that Jesus gives when he kind of starts his ministry off in the book of Matthew, where he talks about what it looks like to follow after him, to really truly follow after him. And we've been kind of leaning into some of the some of the challenges that are inherent within that, some of the ways in which Jesus is following him is radical. It takes full commitment out of us. It is not the kind of thing that we can kind of do with one foot in the door and one foot out the door, but when we do it, we live out this sort of countercultural kingdom, which has kind of been the big idea of the sermon series. So let me pray we'll get into it today, and we'll see what uh, Jesus has for us. Lord, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, as we just sang, Father, you are all we need. And um, I know uh, sometimes it, it might feel like there are all these other things that we might need, but Lord, at the end of the day, you give us what we need, and we can rely on you fully for that. I pray as we uh, meditate on that today, as we sort of look at what that might mean in our lives, God, you'd give us wisdom, give us hope, give us guidance in that, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start out today with some would-you-rather questions, okay? So I kind of spent a lot of time this week trying to think of some, of, some, some really good ones for you to really put you in a bind with these, all right? So first of all, let me ask you this. Would you rather be chronically underdressed or chronically overdressed? I'm going to guess underdressed just because, like, most of you work in your sweatpants now. Um, maybe not. All right, would you rather let a spider climb over you or let a snake slither across you? Snake. I heard a few people say snake. I think most people are like, neither, please. Um, would you rather have to say every thought out loud or never be able to speak again? I would rather, I'd much rather never speak again, I think. <laughs> I, gotta, I feel like it's kind of an easy one. Um, would you rather go a year without desserts or have to eat a spoonful of wasabi every day? Wasabi, okay. I've never had a spoonful of it. I feel like that's probably pretty intense. Uh, would you rather be unable to remember names or unable to remember faces? Names? I feel like some people are probably like, I already can't remember either. <laughs> okay. Would you rather always have B.O. and not know it or always smell everyone else's B.O.? <laughs> Would you rather watch nothing but Hallmark Christmas movies or nothing but horror movies? A lot of Hallmark Christmas movies. All right. Would you rather be someone who compulsively, compulsively laughs during sad moments or who cries whenever someone makes a joke? <laughs> All right. Last one here. Would you rather have a mullet or be totally bald and not be able to wear a hat? bald, okay. Mullets are back in again. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, I don't know. Mullets are, mullets are cool again, so I feel like you guys are all wrong about that one. Um, okay, these are supposed to be pretty even choices. I was, you know, I, some of them probably weren't, it sounds like, okay, but they're supposed to kind of like put you in a bind, and then 
as you answer, I, kind of the, one of the fun things about would you rather questions is it kind of shows you what your priorities are, right? It kind of, kind of shows you what matters to you in a way. And I think today in our passage, we're going to talk about Jesus is giving us a bit of a would you rather type of question in our passage. And it, it's going to be a mirror to our priorities when we sort of consider it. Okay, so that's kind of what I want you to think about. And I'm going to read the passage to us today that we'll be uh, kind of meditating on this Sunday morning here first. And then we'll kind of explain what that would you rather is. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's today's would you rather, and kind of the impetus for today's sermon. Would you rather acquire treasures for right now, or treasure that will last you forever? That's kind of the would you rather that Jesus is putting in front of us today. And so I want us to talk about today what it looks like for us to pursue the greater treasure. This is Jesus' way of getting us to think about our driving motivations and what we put ourselves toward. And specifically, he gets to the idea of money and possessions. You kind of saw that in the last verse we read. And he's making us consider this question today, which I think is a really relevant one for us, especially for for many of us in the specific society that we live in. Is the call of Jesus to simply exist and produce and acquire more stuff for ourselves? Or does being a disciple of Jesus mean that he has something higher for us, a higher treasure for us to pursue with our lives? That's the question we're going to be asking today as we study this passage, okay? And as always, at the end of, uh, of the sermon, we're going to be doing our question and response like we've been doing throughout this series. So if you have any questions, anything you'd like to sort of hear uh, a response to, maybe not an answer, I might not be able to give you, you know, a perfect answer to it, but some thoughts on, questions about the passage, or you just like to, you know, study something more on your own, want to get kind of Go in the, in the, get, a, get a push in the right direction, maybe you can go to our website, redcitychurch.org, scroll down a little bit, and you will find uh, a place to submit a question. We'll try to get to a couple of them at the very end of the sermon today. So let's get back into it here. Let's kind of go back through the passage and study it um, in, in a little more depth. So let's start with verses 19 to 20. We're in Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Let me read it again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, so some of the stuff Jesus has been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, it is a little bit tough to understand, or he's a little cryptic or hyperbolic, and we have to wrestle through it. But I feel like this is pretty simple. Like, the idea that he's talking about here is not uh, a very, uh, like, a difficult one to understand. It's, a, it's The simple idea is just, like we said, would you rather, okay? And he's putting these two things out to us, treasures of earth and treasures in heaven. And the disciple, the, the, the response he wants from the disciple is to direct their attention to storing up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth. That's the big idea of all this. Now, in doing this, Jesus assumes that we are people who like to think long-term, 
Okay, we're not the kid in that experiment who, you know, takes a marshmallow now instead of waiting and getting two marshmallows later on. Okay, we, he, think, he assumes we can kind of think ahead. And it's true, a lot of us are starting to get to that age where we are thinking a lot about our futures. We're thinking about, uh, you know, how are we setting ourselves up and maybe our kids someday for financial success. We're seeing financial advisors. We're trying to think ahead to, uh, you know, IRAs and retirement and all that kind of stuff, just setting us up, uh, up well for the future, making plans. And so I think speaking to us today, if we can take Jesus' words and have him speak directly to us, he would be saying, good job with the prudence. I really like that you guys have this mindset. He would be seizing on it, I think. But he wants to shift our attention uh, to a kind of investment that is beyond what we discern from economic reports that we might read, that we can't apply a dollar amount to, that doesn't depreciate, that functions apart from the economy. And he is, like he has been doing throughout this whole sermon series, taking what we know and pushing us to think about it deeper, right? Consistently, he's taking stuff that we thought we knew, right, or, or, or that was kind of commonly understood, and is getting us to think about it in a deeper way than we always have, okay? And so here, that means seeing the world in a new way, and to ask ourselves as we pursue something, is this a treasure of earth or of heaven? And to tell us to, to pursue the thing of heaven. But what does this mean? What are treasures on earth? What our treasures in heaven. How do we understand that? Okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start with treasures on earth here first. Okay, I think they're the kind of things that only have value because it can find easy value in our world today, right? Usually, treasures of earth, I think, is something we can assign a dollar value to, right? Almost everything is tied to money and what it can buy us, right? Literally, we can, we can apply dollar amounts to just about everything in our world today. I don't know if you, you've seen that in your jab. You can apply dollar amounts to all the work that you do. Basically, everything that's going on, a lot of times you can throw it in an algorithm and you can figure out, well, what's the dollar amount of this, right? Money is so central, and Jesus mentions it later on, so it does seem to kind of be the thing that it seems like he is thinking about. If we think about it, money can buy a lot of things, right? You can buy food, you can buy cars, houses, you can buy admission to colleges, it can buy phones and the apps that we use on them, um, but it can also buy other things, like kind of less intuitive, direct things that we can actually just pay for easily with a credit card, like loyalty. Money can buy us things like silence, it can buy a blind eye, it can buy injustice, complicity, it can buy us elections, it can buy us convenience, it can buy us health, it can even buy us World Series baseball championships, although maybe not this year, the, the teams that are spending a lot of money aren't doing as well in that, okay? But think, we, we can think of all sorts of things that we think money can get us, right? Um, it's a truism in our politics that money runs things. There's a famous line from a political strategist named James Carville where he said, it's about the economy, stupid, right? If the economy's good, you're, you're going to be fine election-wise. If it's bad, you're in trouble. That's kind of like the thinking there. It all comes down to money. And I think a lot of it is because people want to feel safe. And money is one of the primary ways that we feel safe in the world. It's something we can look at that we feel like can protect our future, can secure for us something that we want looking forward. And so while our, our money says, in God we trust, oftentimes we're telling God, in our money we trust, if you think about it. 
And if you think about it even further, money is, is maybe most important to us because a lot of the times we're told that money is kind of the driver behind our, our life story. It's kind of the author that is telling the story of our lives. Okay, think about it, okay? Most people live this story. You leave your parents' home, you maybe go to college, you become independent, but you're poor. You don't have any money to spend, right? And then as you make money, you get a job, you sort of make some money early on, you pay off any college debt you might have, you start to get more and more money as you go, you start to save it up, you start to maybe invest it, and as your money grows, your life grows around you, right? You go from an apartment, you go from eating ramen noodles to having slim livings to a house, and then more means, like nicer and nicer meals, Okay, you grow in, into uh, gathering stuff around you, the kind of stuff that you get with all the money that you've been grabbing. And that starts to be the course that your life takes, acquiring treasures of earth or the things that treasures of earth can get us. Right? So as we get older, we're supposed to accumulate stuff around us. Right? Cars, houses, boats, lake houses, TVs, uh, bigger and more lavish vacations, toys for your kids and you, the newest gadgets from Google, um, just the convenience that all that stuff brings us. And then maybe most of all, securing the kind of future that treasures of earth can give us and our families. That's just kind of how we're taught the world works, right? As, as, as life goes on, money is supposed to get us all these things. As we grow the money around us, gain money, gain stuff, gain security, the story moves on. Now, I think Jesus would say that this is a story about us just gathering these treasures of earth that he's talking about. Now, he never says treasures of earth are bad or evil, okay? Notice he never is saying that, but what he wants us to do is to ask if this is really, truly where our hearts should lie, if this is really, truly the story that we should see ourselves as living in. And he wants us to understand how focusing specifically on these treasures of earth can pull our hearts away from the things of God. And he says that specifically in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you think about it, our, tre- our, 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 our hearts are kind of like a table, right? But one of the legs of the table is a little bit shorter than the other ones, okay? That leg of that table is like the thing we most cherish. And so everything we put on that table is going to roll to that side, no matter what we do, we might, you know, pick it up and move it to the other side of the table, put it somewhere else we value, but because, because of gravity, everything is going to be pulled towards that thing that our heart cherishes the most, the, the place where our treasure truly is. Our heart is going to be there as well. And so I think part of the reason that we fixate on these treasures of earth is that we're, we've convinced ourselves that it's what we truly need, okay? It's all part of that story of growth. Are we progressing? Are we moving forward? Okay? Are we really feeling like that's the case if we're uh, stuck without a bunch of money in our bank account? Right? Are we really truly moving forward if we don't have a good plan you know, right now of what retirement is going to look like someday? Or if we are just merely renting a place instead of owning it? Right? Now, I understand why we, we might feel like it is necessary for us to you know, focus our hearts on these things, right? We are told every day, just think about advertisements that we see. Every time you open your phone up, every time you watch TV, the types of advertisements that we're seeing are telling us that we need these things that are being sold to us. It's gonna, it's, they're trying to speak to our deepest needs. We need this thing for safety. We need this thing 
for our happiness. We need this thing in order for our lives to matter, right? These things truly do matter. Our, our, our needs, our safety, having meaning and worth, they do matter to us. That's why advertisements speak to that. But a lot of times, I think we can be convinced that the stuff that we buy can get us that. But treasures on earth are often not what we actually need. They're not actually the things that are going to buy us what we think they do. Okay? They wouldn't be treasures, right, if that were the case. And in fact, Jesus is saying they are often more work than we could ever imagine because of the state of decay of the world, right? We buy the dream house, but it's never finished. There's always some other project that we have to work on. There's always something going wrong with it. The water heater quits working. The foundation isn't right. We're, the, the roof is leaking. It just is not quite perfect, and we're always putting more time into it. And there's the lure of the bigger, better house that is always out there. Right? We, we, we go on the great vacation we've been waiting for all year, right? And then it rains the whole time, and we can't spend any time at the beach. We get that extra degree because we think it'll look good on our resume. It'll really help us out going forward, and then we never use it, <laughs> and we're still paying it off years down the road. We get that car we saved up for, and we decide to go for the extra trim, the very highest one, but five years later, we've put almost as much money into fixing the thing up than we paid to buy it in the first place. Right? We store all our money in these investments, and then the stock market crashes. Right? And of course, we're, we're always aware of the fact that greed is always in, mixed into this. Corruption, it hurts people. It leaves many fighting for scraps. That's just a na- the nature of the world that we live in. And okay, we know all this. Right? We, we realize this stuff. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but we need uh, to understand that we're, we're still chasing after that stuff anyway. Even though we're aware of it, we're still kind of convincing ourselves that we need to acquire treasures on earth. And I think this is why the Sermon on the Mount, not just this passage, but the whole sermon is so powerful. Because Jesus is speaking to these same things that we're, you know, our advertisements are telling us that we need to buy this product in order to find. Right? He's speaking to our need for safety, for security. Right? But he's telling us what we actually need. And he's telling us that Jesus is going to provide those for us. Okay, last week we talked, to, we talked in the, uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, how uh, we pray every day, give us our daily bread, okay? Give us what we need today, Lord. You are the one who supplies that for us. You are the one who supplies our security. Julie's going to talk a little bit more about how we think about things like worry next week, about how we don't have to worry about tomorrow if we follow Jesus, okay? This is a big theme on the Sermon on the Mount, God doesn't anywhere promise us that we will get all the things that we might convince ourselves we need according to this story that is authored by money that we find ourselves living in so much. He simply says that he will supply what we actually do need. And when he does, because he does that, we have the opportunity to pour ourselves into the pursuit of gaining treasures in heaven. These things that we actually need. All right. So what are treasures in heaven? What is Jesus talking about with these, okay? What, what are they actually? It's kind of an abstract term. And unfortunately, Jesus doesn't give a definition here. It would have been really helpful if he would have said, by the way, here's, here, you know, here's the footnote to this, right? There's no footnote in the Sermon on the Mount, unfortunately. Um, I think we might think treasures in heaven are stuff that we might get in spiritual retirement, right? Like, uh, you know, things that we, we save for but we can't have till later, like a spiritual 4, 401k, 
right? Heaven bucks that are sitting in a heaven bank account waiting for us to access them at the heaven bank when we get there one day so we can buy a nice heaven house on a heaven lake, right? I don't think that's what it is. I think that's how sometimes people might think about it, right? And, and we think, you know, we've got to store up this stuff so we can have all these cool stuff in heaven someday. I don't actually think that's what it is, though. Um, but nowhere does Jesus say that treasures in heaven are not things that are accessible to us now, that have value in the present time as well. Okay? I think that they're actually things that totally matter in the present, totally are things that we can acquire now that matter in the future, but also matter right now. Because largely Jesus is talking about how we live in the future, right? And the ultimate restoration, the hope that we have that one day all things will be restored, the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven fully, is looming in the background, but Jesus is not pointing our direction of our attention towards that constantly. He wants us to stay in the present, to see what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to come to earth now. So how do treasures in heaven fit into that? And I think it's like this, okay? I think this is what Jesus is talking about here. When you cross the border from one country to another, like if you're coming into the U.S., there are certain things that you can't bring with you through customs, I don't know if you've ever had this before and you like, couldn't bring something with you, but like, you can't bring alcoholic beverages with you through customs. Um, you can't bring non-U.S. approved cars, okay? So none of those cars where you drive on the right side instead of the left side in America, right? Uh, apparently, you can't bring any products that have uh, dog or hat care, uh, sorry, dog or cat hair in them across the border into the U.S., right? I just, now you know, okay? It's like in case that was something you were thinking of doing. So if we were thinking in the long term, let's say we knew we were going to be traveling from one country into the U.S., it wouldn't be very smart to be getting a bunch of pillows filled with cat hair, right? Because we would know this stuff can't come with me. I have to leave it, I have to leave it where I'm coming from. It can't cross the border. It can't come through customs. I think treasures in heaven are things that can bridge the gap between worlds. There are things that we can use now that matter now, but also pass through customs that will be part of the world that God is building in Jesus, what we call heaven, where we will live someday when we follow after him. They are things that can cross the border. They are not under the power of decay and corruption that mark all of the things of earth. They have power and worth now, but they will also be what the kingdom of heaven is someday built out of. And so it's smart for us to be acquiring them now. What are these things? What, what, is it, what are these things that, you know, what do they actually look like, right? What are they? Give me some specific examples, Joel, I think you're probably asking. I think they're things that flow out of the gift of God and the gospel directly, okay? They're, they're the qualities of God himself that we can store up in ourselves. They are the fruit of his love taking root in our hearts and the world. The same love that the kingdom is built out of Things that lead to deep joy, to deep satisfaction, to a kind of life that is only parodied when we try to purchase it with money. They're not stored in bank accounts or in storage garages, but stored in hearts. They're stored in communities. They're stored in relationships. They find harmony in the deep parts of us. They speak to our deepest longings. They give us a different kind of security than money can buy. The security of love. They are not things that we have to earn or acquire, but they're things that are freely given to us by God through Jesus. We just have to ask for them and pursue them. So some examples here. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. 
Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. In the passage here, he's talking about things which will not fade away at some point. He's talking about things that will last forever, things that remain, that stay, okay? These things, faith, hope, and love, will remain beyond this age and into the new one someday. They have worth now, they are essential to us now, and they will cross the border someday. And we can't buy them with money. Galatians 5, to 23, Paul talks about some other things they think fit this description. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Okay? These things, there is no law that would keep these from crossing the border. Right? Against such things there is no law. Pursue them. Now, as we become rich in these kinds of things through following Jesus, notice how they start to give us direction for what we can do with the treasures on earth that we do have, right? Because it's not that the treasures on earth have no value, right? But we can sort of give them a greater purpose by using them with the treasures in heaven that we've gained, right? We can use treasures of earth in love. We can use treasures on earth in faith, in kindness, to further the purposes of God's kingdom. By generously maybe giving away money sometimes. By letting people who don't have something that they might need to use some stuff that we do have and maybe even let them keep it. You know, we could be the answer to someone's prayer for their daily bread. Have you ever thought about that? We can be the answer to someone's prayer for their daily bread if we're willing to see our treasures on earth that we do have through the light of the treasures in heaven that we're pursuing. And this gives us a new perspective on how we might think about our life path, our story of our life, new, new motivations in our decisions than just that something will get us, you know, acquire more stuff for us. As we prioritize gaining treasures in heaven and as we begin to live in this new economy that Jesus is introducing us to, the kingdom one, we will start to become rich in the treasures in heaven. Now, to press the point even deeper into our hearts, Jesus presents this point as a kind of battle between two rival kings, and the land that they struggle over is in our hearts and in our minds. Okay, so verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here Jesus is talking about serving money, right? Seeing it as a lord or a king over us. In different contexts, I think Jesus could have used different things that we might serve. Power, fame, sex, right? Other different things that can become our masters pretty easily. Um, And I, I think certainly, you know, reading this, we'll start to think, well, yeah, of course I want Jesus to be my master, right? I don't want to be mastered by money, right? And, but I think a lot of times we might actually be thinking, well, maybe I can do both. Maybe I can kind of play a referee between the two, right? Maybe I can figure out a way to sort of manage the lordship of both of these things in my life, right? I'll let one win this time and then the other win next time and I'll try to keep an equal balance, keep them both happy, right? By kind of pursuing both of these things, trying to find security maybe in Jesus but also in the things that treasures of earth can get me. But I don't think it works like that. 
right? I think if you look back over the trend line of your decisions over time, you will see that one of these things you've been choosing more than the other. One of these things truly is the one that you're serving. And at the end of the day, I think this is really about commitment, okay? I think it's not so much about us saying, you know, directly, oh, this thing, money is my Lord. I want to serve money. But we're, we're talking about what we being committed to Jesus as opposed to being committed to something else, okay? What Jesus is saying here is that you can't see the power of God at work in your life if you've got one foot in the kingdom and one foot out of it, relying on uh, the security that money might be able to get you over anything else, right? Kind of keeping your options open, right, with the things that money can get you. And if we're honest, I think we, we like to keep our options open, We struggle to commit fully to following Jesus as our Lord and Master, okay? This is something I struggle with on a daily basis. I am not throwing this at you like, you guys all suck, you guys are all bad at this, okay? This is something I daily wrestle with too, okay? I think it's a common human struggle, which is why Jesus is talking about it here. And it's the kind of thing we have to go to over and over again to ask ourselves, who am I truly serving here? What have I been truly serving in my life when I look back at it? Because Jesus is clear. He did not come to earth. He didn't put himself in danger, even to the point of actually dying on a cross for us so that he could be the junior Lord in your life to something else. Okay? He just didn't. All right? He came. He did all the stuff that he did so that he might be your true Lord. So what is Jesus actually calling us to? Let's, let's, what is he actually saying here? Okay? What does he want us to do? I don't think he's saying that your bank account should be filled with cobwebs and that you can't own a home or that, you know, and you, you have to live in an apartment and all you can have furnishing it is just a couple lawn chairs and a sleeping bag, all right? The call of Jesus, I don't think, is, for, 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 I don't think the call for all disciples of Jesus is like total poverty, Okay, I don't think that's what he's saying here, okay? Jesus doesn't seem to be saying that anywhere else that I can see. But I do think he is calling us to radically examine what our treasure really is. And if money is your master or something else is, then maybe to undo its hold on you, you might need to consider doing something drastic, something, something radical. Okay? There's actually a story in the Gospels of this happening. And I think it should jolt us a little bit when we read it. All right? So this is in Luke 18, verses 18 to 23. A certain ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these things I have done since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Okay, Jesus has stressed an urgency in the Sermon on the Mount. We've talked about this in other passages, right? Talking about dropping everything to go and reconcile with someone that you're angry with. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, removing obstacles in our lives that would cause us to fall into lust, right? Being very, uh, you know, having a lot of urgency, challenging us to have this urgency in our lives as we follow after him. And here in this situation, he discerns that this guy serves money, 
that this thing has a power over him that would not allow him to truly follow after Jesus in the way that Jesus is calling him to. And so he literally tells him, uh, you know, go sell everything you have, okay? Get rid of this thing that has mastered you, okay? I think for, for this man, discipleship for him looked very extreme. And sometimes it might need to look extreme for us too if we find ourselves in a similar situation. Now again, Jesus doesn't tell anyone else in Scripture to do this. It's not the call of all disciples to do this. It wasn't a command for them. It's not a command for us now either. But it might be for some to look at where your heart is, where your treasure is, what is your Lord, what are you serving, and to be willing to divest your wealth or assets you have because the presence of it will always be your treasure slanting the table of your heart one direction. And some Christians have done this. Like there are examples in history of Christians who were very rich, you know, giving away their vast resources to uh, do things like um, create hospitals or literally to, to buy slaves. There's a story about one guy selling off a bunch of uh, jewels that he had in order to buy slaves and set them free again. Okay? Some people have taken this very seriously. And I would never directly tell someone to do this, okay? So I, don't worry, I'm never going to tell you to sell all the stuff you have, all right? I don't think this is the kind of thing any Christian should compel another Christian to do, to tell them you have to do something extreme to get this thing out of your life, okay? But Jesus might sometimes, okay? Notice in the passage, it's Jesus asking the disciple to do this. Sometimes we might come to Jesus and ask, what does it mean for me to follow you? And he might challenge us to do something kind of radical, okay? That's something for you to discern as you follow after him. And I really, I think all of us in some area of our life are going to be called to do something radical, something extreme. It might look different than what other people do, uh, might do, but it's going to be something that is unique to us, somewhere that we feel like we've been mastered. My heart tends to treasure this thing, and I'm willing to do something kind of extreme, something kind of radical. It might seem kind of weird to other people in order to keep that from happening so I can follow after Jesus well. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, it seems kind of unfair of Jesus to maybe ask us to do stuff like this. But as we see so often in the Sermon on the Mount, the stuff that Jesus calls us to do is stuff that we see him doing in his own life as well. Okay? Like we talked about a couple weeks ago with Jesus and his call to you know, radi- radically loving our enemies. Jesus would never ask us to do something that he doesn't do himself. And we see this, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where Paul says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus asked this young rich ruler, right, someone who had very much, who was very rich, to give all that he had to those who were poor. And Jesus does exactly that himself. There was no treasure on earth or in heaven that he could not lay claim to, yet he gave it all away so that we might be made rich for our sake. We're here because Jesus did what he said he might ask us to do sometimes so that we might become people who would become rich. And his generosity, his willingness to give up his riches means that we can have the treasure of heaven, the treasure of God's presence and his gifts. Sometimes God might call us to do something similar in our own lives, but we can know 
in the same way that Jesus was blessed because of it, we too will be blessed. All right, so as we wrap up here, we'll take any questions that we might have, and then we'll move into a time of, of prayer and worship. Um, this question asks, you know, you talked about in the beginning about how um, possessions and things aren't bad inherently, but is there like a limit to that type of a thing, and how do you go about discerning that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, again, I don't think it's my place to like set a limit of something, right? There are a lot of, you know, Jesus says kind of in that same passage, like he talks about how, you know, it's really hard for those who are very rich to follow him. He kind of uses that camel walking through the eye of a needle analogy to explain it. Now, again, I think that's hyperbole. That's a figure of speech. Now, he's not saying it's impossible. He's just saying it's a real challenge. It'd be like trying to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle, right? Um, but there are rich people who, I think, do this well, and they're very generous. They figure out what are ways for me to take this wealth and to give it away, give very much of it away. Um, so I think that's a place to start. If you find yourself blessed with much, um, ask yourselves, well, what do I actually need from this? Like, what, what do I actually need? And wh- how can I think about using the rest of it in a way that glorifies God? Um, but again, I would, like I said, I would think, I don't think there's some rule that we should put on this stuff. I, I said, you know, earlier, like, I would never compel someone. If you came to me and you're like, hey, I feel like, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm ma- maybe mastered by this thing. Maybe I'd offer some suggestions. But I never tell you, well, if you're, you know, open up the pastor rule book and say, you know, on page 95, it says, if you have this much money, you need to give it all away or something like that. I do think that's something to wrestle through and ask Jesus about, though. I think that's the kind of thing. And in your community, praying through it with other people and asking, you know, how much is too much? How much of this do I actually need? Um, I would hesitate, though, to say that there's one rule that applies to everybody, though. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, let's, um, let's pray and enter into a time of worship and communion here. Um, when we take communion every Sunday, what we're doing is we're reflecting on the fact that Jesus did. He was rich, but he gave himself up for us so that we might be made new. We might be forgiven of our sins. We might be made rich in his love and his righteousness and his grace. And every Sunday when we take communion, we're reflecting on that. We're reminding ourselves of that through the tangible eating of the bread and drinking of the cup. So as you come and take communion, just up at the front here, um, be reflecting on that, reflecting on what it means for us to follow a Savior who practices what he preaches, who uh, uh, does what he asks us to do. And over that time as well, we'll be having some worship. And if you'd like prayer for anything at all, um, we'll have someone in the back who will be willing to pray for you. All right, so let's, let's pray and then let's enter into that time. Lord, we thank you that you, despite being rich in all things, God, rich beyond our wildest imaginations, you gave it up. You became poor by taking on flesh, by being nailed to a cross, giving up your actual life itself. God, any security or safety that you might have sought out, you gave it up for us so that we might become rich. Lord, We thank you for that, God. We are so thankful that what you call us to, you yourself have done. God, through your example, through your power of your spirit, help us to know what it looks like for us to do the same, God, in whatever way that might look, big or small ways, God, giving up things so that we might be people who follow after the one who gave up his actual life for us.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.